I don't know if there could be any better lyric to talk about the spirit walk than that. My life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself, I give myself away. And if you sang that and you meant it, then you are doing the spirit walk. Praise God for it. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going we're gonna to jump right into the Bible in just a moment as we continue on in this, this sermon series called Spirit Walk where we're learning how to walk in step with the Spirit of God. But today we're going to talk about probably one of the more controversial parts of the Spirit Walk, one of the, the more hotly debated parts, and it's the whole idea of being filled with the Spirit. Have, have you ever heard that phrase before, to be filled with the Spirit? My guess is if you've been a Christian for a while, or, or especially if you've been a part of Fielder, you've probably heard that terminology. Maybe it's like, man, that brother is filled with the Spirit. Or, man, that worship service, that was just so Spirit-filled. Or maybe you've even prayed before, oh, God, fill me with your Spirit. You've probably heard the phrase. If you've read the Bible before, then you've heard that phrase because it is from beginning to end. You see over and over, all in the Old Testament, book of Exodus, people being filled with the Spirit. Some prophets, some judges, kings are filled with the Spirit. Go over to the New Testament. you got Pentecost and the apostles, and they're filled with the Spirit. Over and over and over again, you see this concept. But have you ever stopped and wondered, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? I mean, immediately you would think some questions would come into your mind. Okay, so like to be filled with the Spirit, is that like a one-time event or something that happens really infrequently? Or, or is that like a normal state of being? And can any Christian be filled with the Spirit? Or do you have to be like a super Christian? Like is that for the spiritual elite? Or can it be a normal experience? And if you're filled with the Spirit, I mean, do you have to have some kind of spiritual encounter, a second baptism, a third baptism, something like that? Or, or is it something more continuous? And, and do you know when you're filled with the Spirit? I mean, do you, do you feel it? Like, do you feel like charged up, like you got Red Bull in you, you're going to rip off your shirt, ah, filled with the Spirit? Or, or is it more subdued? I mean, do, do you feel different? Do you look different? Do you act different? Do you sound different? Or is it, is it more normal? And, and I think some of these questions kind of come into our mind over and over again. Okay, like what, what does it mean to be filled? Is it always miraculous stuff or is it normal stuff? What, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Listen, if any of these questions have ever gone through your mind, I want you to know, praise God, you need to be thinking about these because the Spirit walk is something that's supposed to be tangible. And we have to think through these implications of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And today I want to answer that question for you directly from God's Word about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. I think, though, you may discover it means something different than you think. The definitive passage on it is in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you've already opened up your Bible there, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to read verses 18 through 21. And Paul's going to tell us explicitly as he talks about being filled with the Spirit. Here's what it says. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 18. He says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, so, so this particular passage of Scripture talks about being filled with the Spirit, and we learn a whole lot about what it means by looking at some of the contrasts. Now, I will say, I think there are a lot of especially fiery Baptist preachers who, who focus on the wrong part of this passage. They get stuck on the first part of 18 and do not get drunk with wine, which is debauchery. Now, debauchery, if you look at the Greek word for that, it, it means abandonment. It, it's, it's a word that, it's the idea of just recklessly given over to something, to be controlled by it, speaking about drunkenness. And most preachers will come in there and go, see what this passage is teaching is don't get drunk. That's the heartbeat of this passage, so don't get drunk. And they move on to something else. And, and if the focal point of this passage becomes don't get drunk, then you, you're actually missing entirely what Paul is trying to tell us. 
And, and don't get me wrong, moms and dads out there, I'm going to agree. The passage is teaching clearly don't get drunk. It is saying it is wrong. In fact, you can look all over the scriptures and it, it condemns drunkenness over and over and over again. So that part's clear, but that's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is actually to make a contrast to help you understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It's saying, as being filled with alcohol affects you negatively, so being filled with the Spirit affects you positively. It's, it's trying to set up a contrast. So, so think about it for a moment. If you have ever seen somebody who's drunk before, then you'll know that that substance inside them is influence. That's why they call it being under the influence, driving under the influence. They're being controlled by a substance. It changes them. It changes their character, changes sometimes their personality. It diminishes their abilities. It, it, it kind of lessens their self-control. It, it can actually alter a person and who they, they naturally are. So, so sometimes there are people who are normally pretty quiet, pretty shy, and all of a sudden, they become loud and brazen. That's why people call it liquid courage sometimes. It just makes you do crazy things. People who are normally pretty self-controlled start to get out of control and do wild things. People who can normally operate a vehicle can no longer operate a vehicle. They're impaired by the substance. They're controlled by the substance. It, it, can, it can actually alter your own emotions. So, so people who normally are emotionally sound make wise decisions when they get drunk, they can completely lose sound judgment. This is why accountants, every once in a while, go to a bar, get drunk, get in a fist fight, get thrown in jail. <laughs> when like normally, they're like totally calm and, and then they get crazy when the substance is controlling them because they're under the influence of the substance. What Paul is trying to say here to us is don't be under the influence of, of wine, of alcohol, but he is saying be under the influence of the Spirit. He's trying to help us understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit. He's saying it should control us. It should alter us. We should drive the car of our life under the influence of the Spirit of God. And when we do, it changes our character, our personality, our abilities, and our self-control. It makes us different. People who typically are shy and timid all of a sudden get bold and willing to go out there and share a message they wouldn't otherwise because the Spirit is changing them. They're under the influence. People who sometimes struggle with self-control become self-controlled. People who, are, who can be angry become kind and patient and gentle. People who are unhappy and miserable become happy and joy-filled in the Lord. It, it alters them because they are under the influence. There are times when this, this influence gives us capabilities we didn't have before. So just the opposite of alcohol, whereas alcohol can impair your ability to manage your life, the Spirit can repair and build up your ability to manage your life. The Spirit can give you more gifting, more power, more enablement, more capacity because you live life under the influence. So what Paul's trying to tell us is the way alcohol affects you negatively, the Spirit affects you positively and you need to live your life under the influence. Don't be under the influence of alcohol. Be under the influence of the Spirit. Get drunk in the Spirit of God, if you will, and let the Spirit of God control you and change you. And he's trying to call us to live this way. Now, here's what's interesting about being under the influence. There are a lot of times when somebody's under the influence and they don't know they're under the influence. If you were to get to, people's why they get pulled over a lot when they're driving under the influence, they get their DUIs, because they would think, no, I'm not that bad, I'm not that drunk. You know, I can, I've had a few drinks, I can drive home. They don't think they're under the influence. But you know who does? the police officer that sees them driving erratically and swerving and speeding up and slowing down. So they don't know they're under the influence, but everyone else around them does because they can see the results of that influence. 
Here's what's interesting about the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. When you are, when you are driving your life under the influence, a lot of times you don't even know it. It's not that you feel crazy or different. You, you, you're, you're driving your life under the influence and you don't know it, but the people around you do because they can see the results in your life. That's exactly what Paul was getting at in verses 19 through 21. After he says, be filled with the Spirit, he starts showing us, and this is what it looks like when you drive under the influence of the Spirit. Go back to verse 19. Listen to what it says here. It says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he talks about three natural results, uh, implications, things that you can visibly see about somebody who's driving their life under the influence of the Spirit. First one says addressing one another in psalms, so singing, making melodies. Second one was giving thanks. Third one was submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So singing, giving thanks, and submitting. Now, I, I gotta be honest with you. I've read this passage a ton of times before, and I had come to the wrong conclusion about what this passage was teaching. I had always seen this passage as giving five different, different commands of what I'm supposed to do to be a good Christian. One, don't get drunk. Two, be filled with the Spirit. Three, sing and make melody in your heart. Four, give thanks to God. And five, submit to one another. As if these were five separate commands that God was giving me. But as I studied the passage of Scripture, in fact, this just happened a, a few months ago. I knew when I was studying this, and I, I'm about to tell you, like, so I, you, you guys probably, if you've been around, you know I'm a nerd. I, I admit that fully. I'm a nerd. I love studying in the original language. So it was a morning time, and I'm translating in Greek, and I'm digging into this, and I realized for the first time that this is not five separate commands. There are two commands given, don't get drunk, and then the more important one, be filled with the Spirit. And then there are three what are called gerunds. Those are the I-N-G verbs. That's the singing, making melody, the giving thanks, and then the submitting to one another. And because they're gerunds and not separate commands, what this passage is teaching is that the command is to be filled with the Spirit, and then the singing and the gratitude and the submission, those are all just the results of being filled with the Spirit the tangible evidences of it. So when you are filled with the Spirit, when you are under the influence of the Spirit, whether you feel it or not, you're gonna to begin to see these things emerge in you. The first one, you, you are gonna have a song in your heart, making melody in your heart. It, it, will be, it will be evident because you just can't help it. Like you always have a praise song in your mind. You're, you're waking up in the morning and you just wanna sing a song. to the, Even if you're not musically talented at all, you just kind of always have a song on your heart. And there's a reason why, because being filled with the Spirit brings joy, and joy brings about a song. Now, you've probably been around people. There's a guy in, in our church, you probably know him. His name is Jim Parks. The brother, like, always whistles. Like, he's, everywhere he goes, he's whistling. And the reason why is because generally, he's a pretty happy guy. He just always kind of has a happy countenance about him. You know what I do know? I have never seen a person who is naturally bitter and angry and resentful sing songs and whistle when they walk down the hallway. It just doesn't happen. It's happy people, it's joy-filled people that have a song on their hearts. So what this saying is that when we're filled with the Spirit, one of the tangible evidences, there's gonna be joy inside of us to the point that we just wanna sing to the Lord. We have a song on our heart. I, I wish you could come to our prayer meeting that we have as a staff on Wednesday mornings at nine o'clock because I'll bet about half of our staff prayer time is worship. We're just singing songs. There's no instruments. There's not, we're just gathered together on our faces praying and singing, but we just make melody with our heart because we're filled with the Spirit of God. It just naturally comes out. That's the result. You don't have to force it. It just comes. 
And one of the main reasons why it comes isn't because life is always easier, everything's working out, it's because we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, just like it says in Romans 8. We know this to be true, and so gratitude comes out, which is what the second verb was. You remember that? It says singing songs, making melody in your heart, but the second one was giving thanks to God. But do you know what it says? Always and for everything. Gratitude, not just when things are going swell and everything's working out right, but giving thanks to God always and for everything. One of the truest marks of somebody who is filled with the Spirit is that gratitude will overflow in them. And for me personally, I just got to tell you, over the last six months as I've been going on this journey of, of the Spirit walk, one of the things I have seen the most tangibly is how quickly I am to give thanks to God, especially in the morning times when I'm praying and journaling. I, I, would, I would say, and I'm not exaggerating, uh, at least two to three mornings a week, I spend somewhere between 10 to 20 minutes just detailing out as I'm journaling, and the majority of that will be giving thanks. And, and I'm, I'm not forced to it. I'm not going, okay, I got to struggle through this. It just emerges in me. I look around where I'm on my back patio doing my quiet time and journaling, and I just, thanks, Thanksgiving just overflows in me for, for simple things. Like I got my cup of Ethiopian coffee, coffee that I, I, I poured over in my, my Chemex, and I'm, I'm just smelling it, thanking God I get to drink my good cup of coffee, and I'm praising God for it. And, and down by my side, inevitably, is going to be my dog, Sadie, because she just loves to go sit right by my side when I'm doing my quiet time. And I just go, God, thank you for a dog that wants to be by me. My cat never wants to be by me, and I don't want to be by it. But my dog is right by my side. Praise the Lord for my dog. And, I, and I'll, I'll thank God for my dog sitting right there by my side. I'm looking out to my backyard, and usually it's pretty early in the morning, and I'm watching the sun rise, and I thank God for the first ray of light that comes in. And then I see it light up. We have some Turks caps, some flowers in, in the backyard and, and, and it's, this just attracts hummingbirds and butterflies. And so inevitably in the morning time, I'll see the hummingbirds and the butterflies and I'll just start praising God. Thank you, God, for your creation and for this beauty and for this yard I get to have. If I know I'm gonna have a busy day that day and things are gonna press into me, I just got, I go, God, thank you for a busy day because that means I have a job. That means I have a ministry that I get to do. God, thank you for it. If a day before I had a hard day, I say, God, thank you for that day. It was hard, but you're training me. You're molding me. You're shaping me through it because you're causing good to come from this. Thank you. If I had an, an unusually easy day, I go, God, thank you for that easy day because you know I needed the relief and you gave me what I needed. God, thank you for it. There's so many mornings when sitting in the chair next to me is my wife. We're not even talking. She's journaling and praying and I'm journaling and praying, but I'm going, God, thank you that I have a wife who loves you and wants to seek you and we get to live this life together. Just all these things that I promise you normally I would take for granted. But when I'm being filled with the Spirit, God opens my eyes to see all these things I have to be thankful for. And gratitude just, just overflows. I'm under the influence and it's welling up in gratitude. But the third thing that you see in here is so beautiful. It's submitting to one another. That's another word for humility. One of the most tangible side byproducts of, of living life under the influence of the Spirit is that we become more and more humble. And the reason why is because the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. And when the Spirit of Christ inside of us, the attitude of Christ comes out. You go to Philippians chapter two, and what's the attitude of Christ? He says, I wanna consider others more important than myself. Look out for their interests above my own. It says, Jesus Christ, that he, he didn't regard equality with God, something to be grasped. He emptied himself, came to earth, took on the form of a servant, became obedient to the point of death, emptied himself, humbled himself, submitted himself to others. And when, we have, when we're filled with the Spirit of Christ, humility comes out. We stop thinking we're better than anybody else. Stop thinking that we can't learn. We listen more. 
we humble ourselves, we learn from others that naturally, we don't have to be forced to do so, it naturally starts coming out. These are tangible evidences that the Spirit is at work. Now, now these are great, by the way, singing songs, giving thanks, submitting to one another. And in fact, it gets real practical if you were to keep on going into verses 22 and 23. It starts getting into marriage, wives, submit to your husbands as under the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, which is an act of submission. Goes on later to children, submit to your parents as you obey them. So it's just very practical ways that this submission is, is worked out one to another. And it's beautiful, and, and these three things are wonderful, but this is not an exhaustive list of all the, the visible elements of somebody who's living life under the influence. There are other things that show us that the influence of the Spirit is, we're being controlled by, drunk in the Spirit of God. I mentioned it two weeks ago when I was talking about Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit will have abounding love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and then forgiveness and self-control. That's not the right one. There's something else. I missed one. But anyway, the, the fruit of the Spirit will be over there exercising in us. Gentleness, that's what it was. And, and it'll come out of us as we begin to live for the Lord. Bit by bit, it becomes evident. Man, that, that Jason, he used to be a really quick-tempered person, but, but he's so patient now. People around us should see it. He used to be mean, but there's a tenderness to him. You see the tangible evidence of the fruit of the Spirit coming out of us. But, but it's not just that, by the way. As good as those are, probably the clearest evidence that we are living life under the influence is the evidence of power. Our lives will be lives of power. In fact, if you were to go back to the book of Acts, I mean, he clearly talks through that this will be the ramification of us, that we, when we have the Spirit of God, when we're filled with the Spirit of God, uh, the overflow of us would be power. Look at this. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus says clearly the evidence is going to be this incredible power. And sure enough, the next chapter, verses 1 through 4, the power that was promised at the beginning of Pentecost. Listen to what happens. Verse 1 of chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here they are gathered together, and boom, this rushing wind comes upon them, and it says they're filled with the Spirit, and they begin to speak in tongues. Those are languages that they didn't even know that morning when they woke up. And there are all these people who are around them going, how in the world are they speaking my language? And they're supernaturally in power, able to proclaim the gospel in languages they didn't even know earlier that day. The Spirit came and with it came power. You see another example, if you were to slip, flip over to Acts chapter 4, in verses 29 to 31, here's another time when the disciples, they're praying and listen to what they ask and listen to what God does. Acts chapter 4 verse 29 they're praying, they say, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And wouldn't you love to be, I'm still praying at one of our prayer gatherings, this happens, where we're just praying all of a sudden just the room starts shaking and then we get filled with the Spirit of God because it's exactly what happened to them. And they prayed, God, give us, 
your power to do signs and wonders and healings and miracles fills with your spirit. Place shakes, the spirit comes upon them and they walk out with boldness. And what happens? If you flip over to chapter five, verse 12, it says, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Signs and wonders regularly done. Why? Because they were filled with the spirit and the spirit brings power. You wanna know how you know you're filled with the spirit, how you're, how you're driving under the influence? It's because you have a life that has power. Now, now, when I say that, I, I know there are some of you and you're looking back over your life and you're going, well, I got a problem, Jason, because I, I thought I had the spirit. I thought I was a Christian, but I, I wouldn't define my life as a life of power. I wouldn't even define my life as a life of fruit of the spirit. I, I, I do, are you telling me, Jason, that I, I don't have the spirit of God inside of me? Now, listen, I, I want to time out right here because it's a very important distinction that I think a lot of people make mistakes on. It does not mean if you don't have a life of power necessarily that you don't have the Spirit of God because there is a difference between having the Spirit of God and being filled with the Spirit of God because you can have the Holy Spirit and not be filled with the Spirit, but you cannot be filled with the Spirit unless you have the Holy Spirit. So to have the Holy Spirit comes by faith in Jesus Christ alone. You heard already Kyle talking about the gospel and the song about this idea that we were sinners and we're broken and we're unholy because of our sin. So the Holy Spirit of Christ can't come inside of us when we have sin. But praise God, Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins. So if we ask for forgiveness, we can be forgiven and we receive the Spirit. It's the very thing we talked about in, in Acts chapter 2. When we get to verse 38, Peter's preaching and he says, listen, all you got to do is repent of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, repent, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait for some future moment from some special significant things that you feel. No, no, you receive the Holy Spirit immediately when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. If you go over to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 13, he talks about it, Paul talks about it, saying that every single one of us who believed in the Lord, we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So the moment you believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, you get the Spirit of God. But if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're never going to be filled with the Spirit of God. So that's where you got to start. Listen, there are some of you, and you might have to realize you don't have power because you don't have the Spirit of God. Well, that's where you got to start. And so I'm going to tell you what to do a little bit later, but you better start wrestling with that right now. But for those of you who are believers, just because you don't have a life of power doesn't necessarily mean you don't have the Holy Spirit. But it may mean you are not walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You are not being filled with the Holy Spirit. So the question you should be asking if you are a genuine believer in Jesus Christ isn't do I have the Holy Spirit, it's how do I be filled with the Holy Spirit? And if you're willing to ask that question, we gotta go back to Ephesians chapter five, verse 18, because when we really dig down into the command, we'll understand it a bit more. So let's reread that verse. Ephesians chapter five, verse 18. He says, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So the command, be filled with the Spirit, when you look at that in the original language, it's so rich in meaning. In fact, I want to give you four points that you need to be aware of in just thinking about that one, that one phrase, be filled with the Spirit of God. It's one Greek word. And the first thing I want to mention about that Greek word that you've got to recognize is it's called an imperative. That's a command. This is not a suggestion. This is not it would be good for you to be filled with the Spirit. This is a command. It is our job to be filled with the Spirit, which means there is some part we have to play in this. That we are, if we're commanded to do it, it's because it can be done. We are to be filled with the Spirit. So we're commanded to do this. 
Second thing, though, that I want you to notice about this command, you won't see it in the English, but you'll notice it in the Greek, is that the command is plural. It's not singular. What that means is he's not saying, you individual be filled with the Spirit. He's saying, y'all need to be filled with the Spirit. I can say that because we're in Texas. Y'all need to be filled with the Spirit. It was a plural command. Now, let me tell you why that matters. It means that the Apostle Paul was not just talking to the pastor of the church in Ephesus or a few people. He was talking to all the believers in Ephesus. Every single one of them was supposed to be filled with the Spirit. Now, I'm worried about this specifically in the context of, of the American church. I think there are so many people who believe that it is the the pastor's job, these upfront leader's job to be filled with the Spirit and to do the work of ministry and the rest of the congregation just golf claps. Like, okay, good job. As I've been sharing this journey that I've been going on and how the Spirit has been revealing himself to me and I'm learning to walk in step with the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit, one of the things I hear over and over again is just a genuine excitement from our congregation for me. Like, like people in the congregation, you, you really want a leader who's filled with the Spirit. And you're going, man, praise God. I'm so glad to hear, Jason, that the Spirit is working in you because I want to be led by a guy who is filled with the Spirit of God. And you're so grateful for me and some of the other staff that you know are going this journey. But there's a side where you're going, praise God for them. But that doesn't really apply to me. And if you look at your life, you're going, man, I, 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 that must be awesome, Jason. But I'm just trying to survive, bro. And you think somehow this command isn't for you. But the Apostle Paul is saying, all y'all need to be filled with the Spirit of God. It's for every single one of you. And let me tell tell you this as plainly as I can. Jesus Christ did not die on a cross just so you could survive. He died on the cross and gave you his Spirit so you could thrive, so you could have a life of power and blessing and change the world. Don't you ever settle for just survival. He wants you to live a life. He's commanded you to be filled with the Spirit so you have his power. And I pray you'll do so. All right, I'm gonna get off my soapbox. Keep on moving. We got two more. So the very first one, notice it's a command. Second one, it's a plural command. So it's talking to all of you. Third thing that you need to notice about this command is it, it's, it's passive. It says, be filled with the Spirit. Now that's an interesting command because what it's saying is it's not something you can do to yourself. It doesn't say, fill yourself with the Spirit of God. Like you go out and you drink, you do it, you make it happen. No, 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 no. Be filled which means it has to be done to you. So this is, this is not us forcing the Spirit inside. This is us posturing ourselves to be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, this is why the original part, the command is so important. If it's a command, it's something that we can do. But if it's passive, it's something that's done to us, which may sound like it's at odds, but it's really not. Just think about like if you have a cup and you got a water faucet and someone turns on the water faucet and the water's going. If you want your cup to be filled, then you got to position your cup under the water faucet so it can be filled. So the way that we obey a command to passively be filled is just we position ourselves to be with the Spirit so that the, the living water of the Spirit can pour into our cup. It's about positioning ourselves with the Spirit of God. And the most important thing we got to know about how to position ourselves is the fourth thing I want to point out about this. It's a present tense command. Now, I know like some of you are going, dude, how far can you dig into this Greek word here? But super far, because present tense is so important when you're thinking about what the imperative means. Now, I know if you've been following along in this, you're, you're sick of hearing this, but I'm going to say it again. A present tense command in Greek carries a nuance that is continual action. It is something that's supposed to be done again and again and again and again. Another way to translate this, probably a more accurate way, would be to say, keep on being filled with the Spirit every single day of your life. 
It is something that has to happen again and again and again. I love what D.L. Moody said. I, I got a quote here from him. D.L. Moody is a great evangelist from uh, a, a, a couple hundred years back and you know, started the Moody Bible Institute, very well-known evangelist. But here's what he says. He says, the fact is we are leaky vessels and we have to keep right under the fountain all the time to keep full of Christ and so have fresh supply. Man, that's the truth right there. We are leaky vessels. If we want to maintain a fullness of the Spirit, we got to keep postured under the faucet of the Spirit of God because we keep on leaking. It just keeps on pouring out day by day and we will dry if we do not come every single day over and over again into the presence of the Spirit of God, putting our cup under His Spirit to receive from Him the living water over and over and over again, the fountain of water, the Spirit of God. And you want to know what that means? It means that if you want to be filled with the Spirit, it happens by a four-letter word, T-I-M-E, time. It requires time to be filled with the Spirit. We don't get to rush the Spirit of God. We don't get to go, okay, God, I got about 30 seconds. Let me turn this faucet on real hard, fill it up, off I go. Now, there are times every once in a while when the Spirit will fill us more quickly than other times, but He controls that, not us. But the majority of the time, the Spirit of God drips into us, not rushes into us which means that if we want to have a full cup, it requires time. We can't tell God, fill me up in this 30 seconds I give you. Sometimes it takes 30 minutes. Sometimes it takes three hours. We have to linger in the presence of God, spend time in the presence of God. And the more time we spend in his presence, linger with him, the fuller and fuller we become. We are becoming filled with the Spirit every single day, simply by posturing ourselves. To which naturally you go, okay, I'm here and I'm tracking with you, Jason, but, but what does that look like practically? I mean, like on, on a tangible level, does it mean I just sit there and stare at a wall? Because last week you talked about how the Spirit works in our thoughts and do I just sit there and, and not do anything but think or is there more I can do? Well, I'm going to share with you something. I love it when these things happen. Well, I just have these bombshells of truth that come. I'm, I'm a student of God's Word. I love it. I've, been, I've gone to seminary for it. I read it every day. And there are times when I read something and my mind just goes, this is one of those things for me. When I learned what it means to be filled with the Spirit by looking at a parallel passage. So the, the Spirit filling that comes to you is primarily done simply by abiding in the Word of Christ, by the Bible itself. When we read God's Word over and over and over again, dwell in His Word, meditate on what His Word is saying, memorize His Word, we are filled with the Spirit. To which you're going, okay, how'd you get there, Jason? Well, let me, let me tell you, because this, this is exciting stuff here. So, so back in Ephesians 5, we were looking at this passage of Scripture and it talked about, remember, be filled with the Spirit. And then there were three results, singing songs, making melody in your heart was one. Two, giving thanks. Number three, submitting to one another. And then he moved on to the wives, submit to husbands. Husbands, love your wives. And all these, remember I told you, are the results of being filled with the Spirit. Well, someone that I know showed me a very similar passage, but had a different command at the beginning of it. And I, I want you to flip over there with me. It's Colossians. It's Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. Now, you're going to read a command at the very beginning, and then you're going to see some gerunds, some ing verbs, some results of it. But listen to what they are. Colossians chapter 3, beginning of verse 16, says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Isn't that not crazy? 
It's the exact same results. I mean, to a T, singing songs in your heart, giving thanks to God and submitting to one another, looking right at the marriage relationship. He goes on to talk about kids and bond service, just like he did back in Ephesians chapter five. But did you notice though that the command that, that instigated these results was different? In Ephesians 5, the command was be filled with the Spirit and these things will happen. But in Colossians 3.16, the command is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and then these things will happen. Do you know what that means? It means that these two run parallel. They affect each other. That if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you have to let the word of Christ abide in you richly. And if you want to let the word of Christ abide in you richly, you've got to be filled with the Spirit of God. They work in conjunction with one another. Man, when I discovered that, my mind blew up. It was just like so clear to me. This is how you're filled with the Spirit. You sit at God's Word. You spend time in it. Again, I, I love God's Word. I'm in it often. But I'm, I have been reading God's Word more in these last six months than I ever have in my life because I have a hunger and a thirst for it because I want to be filled with it. And so I wake up in the morning, I'm reading God's Word. I'm reading devotional books that help me understand God's Word. I'm doing all this in the morning time as I'm really digging it. You know what I do right before bed? I got my Bible up. I'm reading a few more chapters of it because I just want to get more and more and more of God's Word. This isn't sermon prep for me. This is me just abiding in the Spirit of Christ as I dwell richly in the Word of Christ. That's the challenge, to spend time in God's Word. i got to be honest with you. I, I, think, I think we all want to be filled with the Spirit, but we make it way too complicated. We, we try to make it to be all these things that we got to try really hard to do, and maybe we got to have these spiritual emotions and encounters and baptisms and all these things that have to happen, and we, we're looking for all this supernatural, miraculous stuff, making it way too complicated. When at the end of the day, Yes, supernatural things happen. Power comes. Life change happens when we're filled with the Spirit. But the way we get filled with the Spirit is just letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, spending time letting the Spirit speak to us, His Word and challenge us and prompt us, and then we obey. It's very simple. It's powerful, but it's very simple. We just got to spend time with the Spirit of God. Now, the only way you are going to spend the amount of time you need to, to drink deep of the Spirit of God, is when you have a desire. And desire comes from one of two places. It comes from desperation or it comes from experience. Now I'm gonna talk about the first one, desperation. Desire comes when you become desperate for God because you realize you have no other hope. It, desperation comes whenever you get thirsty for something new in your life. When you feel parched and dry, like you, nothing's gonna change. You've tried everything and nothing works and you're overwhelmed and you're, you're hungry and thirsty for something new. When you get that desperate, that's when you'll receive the call of Christ. I, I want to finish with this passage of Scripture. It's such a powerful truth. It's, it's in John chapter 7. It's verses 37 and 39. Listen to what Jesus says. It's such a beautiful offer. For those of you who are thirsty, listen, listen well. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet, not yet glorified. So he says, I offer you, if you're thirsty, if you want to feel my power and my Spirit, come to me and I will pour my Spirit inside of you and my Spirit will well up inside of you like a, a river of living water that you cannot stop. He says, just come to me if you're thirsty. Now he says, at that point, the Spirit hadn't come because he hadn't been glorified yet. But it wouldn't be long before he would die on a cross, 
pay the penalty of our sins, be put in a tomb, three days later raise up from the dead, and then ascend to the right hand of the Father in glory. And now he's been glorified. So when he offers his spirit to us, it is immediate. We can have the spirit of God inside of us. So earlier when I was talking to you about power, and the one requirement is that you have the spirit of God, this is when you have to decide to come to Christ. He is the spirit of Christ. And if you want to have the spirit of Christ, you have to come to Christ and receive the living waters that he offers. So what does that look like? It means you repent of your sins. You recognize that you're broken and you're a sinner and you need God's grace. You ask for Jesus to forgive you and then you invite his spirit to come in and take over you. And he gives you the rivers of living water, which is his spirit. If you need to do that in this next song we're about to sing, I want to give you a chance to respond. You don't have to have any magical words. You don't have to repeat after me. You can just tell Jesus he's listening to you right now. You can tell him that you're sorry for your sins. You can tell, ask him to forgive you. And then you can invite his spirit to come take over, to produce rivers of living water inside of you. And you'll see him do what is impossible for man, but totally possible for God. So this next song, you do that. If you do that, I'll tell you what to do when the song is over. But be desperate enough to come to him. The second thing though that, require, that, that makes desire inside of us is experience. And that experience, what I'm referring to is the experience of having tasted and seen that the Lord is good. When you've had moments where you've experienced the goodness of God, nothing else will satisfy you but Him. And we're about to sing a song that says that very thing. Nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you. And, and when we sing this song, what we're saying to the Spirit of God is I want you more than, I, don't, I want you more than relationships. I want you more than success. I want you more than money, sex, substance, friendships, anything else. God, I want you more because nothing else will do but you. And when you sing that song to God, to his spirit, he delights in it and he draws near to us. You just got to remember how good he is. And when we finish this song of declaring that to him, I'm going to lead us in taking the Lord's Supper so we can see the tangible evidence of his goodness through the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. But right now, let's declare that we want him more than anything else. Let's sing the song.